Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and uh, um, you're just going on, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's three days, I don't know what it is, and then you, you realize at some point that you don't remember like the genesis of the argument in the first place. You're arguing about how then you started to argue, right? And you have to get down to what exactly is the heart of the matter. Anybody ever feel like that? I don't know. <laughs> Seriously, show of hands. Has anybody ever felt like that? Right? I know I have. Right? You just don't, whether you're yelling or not, maybe it's just a discussion and you just don't remember exactly what, what the beginning of it was all about. Or maybe you've had a, maybe you've had a to-do list. Um, maybe you've, you've had this really, really long to-do list and you're like, man, I really need to prioritize and figure out what is actually the most important and put those in a certain order so that you're, you're able to get the most important things done first. Maybe, um, maybe you've gone through an event. Uh, maybe, maybe it's breast cancer for you. Maybe it's um, a family situation, a big family change. Maybe it's a big move. Maybe it's some event that has happened in your life or your family's life. And you start to really assess what exactly is the, like, the meaning of life. What's the purpose? What is it that's most important in this life? Because we get caught up in all this stuff in life, right? Anybody ever feel like that? It's just the in-between stuff, and it all runs together, and you don't know what's really the most important. We've all had times in our lives which we've had to get to the heart of the matter on something. Maybe it's one of those three situations I described. Maybe it's something else. We've had to sift through the chaos or the peripheral in order to understand the ma- what the main point is. And our passage this morning is much the same thing, except this isn't just one person's reality that we're talking about this morning. This is Jesus speaking, and it's a reality in all of our lives. This is the heart of it all. This is the crux. And so I want you to open to Mark chapter 12. Okay, we're going through the book of Mark, not verse by verse, just taking excerpts from from Jesus' words throughout the book of Mark. And we're in Mark chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 28 this morning. But I want to comment briefly on the entire chapter before we get too far in. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were were the powerful uh, Jewish religious and political rulers of the day, they kept attempting to trap Jesus with questions. And to sway public sentiment against him. To get some ammunition for if they arrested him or or put a stop to his ministry. Because people were starting to follow Jesus and be intrigued. And a lot of the things that he was saying kind of flew in the face of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees told people to do. They were losing their grip, their, their control, their power. And so they question his authority. This is all in um, this chapter, in chapter 12, leading up to verse 28. They question his authority. They question their own responsibility. They argued with him about eternity. Uh, eternity and they ultimately, they ultimately did not uh, believe that the resurrection happened after it did happen. Okay? They argued with Jesus about all these things. They tried to catch him with these, with these leading questions to try to make him trap himself with his statements. We come to verse 28, and it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, 
Which is the most important? He had been listening and he was intrigued by Jesus' responses to the earlier questions. And being a teacher of the law, he wanted to know which one was most important. He probably knew them front and back, inside and out. And he's wondering, okay, this, is, this guy's talking a lot, right? He's giving some good, thought-out answers. What does he say is the most important? And we get this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he continued on. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the teacher of the law asked him, what, what is the most important? And he, he, it, was, uh, it was singular. What's the most important commandment? And Jesus actually ends up giving him two, right? The first one, love God. The second one, love people. So Jesus answered this by, by quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And this passage uh, in Deuteronomy is what's called the Shema. I don't know if you've ever heard of that word or not. Um, the Shema, Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. Okay, so it starts out, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is, there is no one greater. He is, he is the one God. So it's called the Shema. It is quoted even today by some Jews every morning and evening, and also at the beginning of, of many uh, synagogue gatherings, if not every synagogue gathering. Jesus also quoted the second command from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the teachers of the law would often discuss, they would often get together and talk about the commandments, talk about the laws. Which, which one is most important? Which one is, um, there, is there a hierarchy of them? They had a lot of discussion points because there were 613 direct commands from God that the rulers of, uh, of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees held the people to, and they added things as they went along. They added some customs. They added things to try to continue to do this to the people and keep their power. So at the minimum, 613, and then whatever else they added on to that. Some of them, some of them were, uh, were proactive, meaning do these things. Others of them were negative in nature. Refrain from these things. Don't do these things. So they often talked about which is the greatest. Jesus answers the question simply and emphatically. The greatest thing we can do is love. Right? He says it here. Love God with everything. Right? He doesn't leave anything out there. Right? Heart, soul, mind, strength. That's all that we have. So we are to love God. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest thing is not abstaining from certain things. The greatest thing is not following a set of rules to a T. The most important thing that God commands us to do is love him and love others. And those two are very much intertwined. Why do we love God and others? First John tells us a little bit about this. We love because he first loved us. Our love for God is a response to the fact that he loved us first. 
Our love for others is a response to the fact that God first loved us. Whether somebody, um, I, here's what I believe the Bible teaches, whether somebody professes faith in Christ or not, the reason that people on earth can love is because God created it and he gives us the ability to love. Okay? Many of us, that's not, our, well, all of us, that's not our first response in many situations, is it? Our sin nature wants to take over. But God has instituted love. We look at the Father, we look at Jesus the Son, we look at the Holy Spirit, and we understand their love for us because of everything they have done for us, because of who they are, because of the promises fulfilled, because of the character of God that has been revealed throughout history, throughout Scripture, and throughout history that's happened after Scripture. We've seen God work. We've seen his spirit move over and over and over again. Many of us have seen it in our own lives. Many of us have seen it in friends' lives, in families' lives. We've seen God work. We understand his character. We know what he's done. We know who he is. And we understand that without God, there is no hope. And so we respond with our lives. He loved us, so we love if you're, if you're filling in your, your half sheet. He loved us, so we love. He served us, so we serve. We talked about that last week. If you missed uh, the, the message from last week, go back to the website or the app and, and look at how Jesus calls us to be servants first. And the reason we do that is because he was a servant to us in the first place. We love because he loved and he served us, so we serve. He extended grace and mercy to us, so we extend grace and mercy to others. We live in response to who God is and what he has done. We don't live in anticipation of God accepting us because of what we've done or because of what we can do. We live in the reality that God extends life to us in spite of what we've done. He loved us, so we love. And, and uh, in First John, it goes further, right? First John four nineteen that we love because He first loved us. And then He says, "Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen." And He has given us this command: Anyone who loves God must also love their brother. Or sister. It's not just it's not just lip service to say, Yeah, I love God. And I'm gonna follow this and this rule to show how much I love God. I'm gonna abstain from this to show how much I love God. I'm gonna do these things, right? I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna whatever else you think gets you close with God. Now, those things put you in a position for God to speak to you, but in and of themselves, those things don't necessarily mean that you're close with God. Does that make sense? Like, I think we should do those things. Don't hear Pastor Dave say you shouldn't read your Bible or pray or go to church. But it's not about just those things. It is about, if we claim to love God, then we've got to work that out in our relationships with other people. We have to love people. 
if we claim to love God. Paul says um, in the book of Romans chapter 13, he says, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to argue about the hierarchy of God's commands? Don't waste your time. Jesus told us here to obey all of God's commands. He told us how to do it. Love well. Love God and love people. If we're loving well, we're not going to lie to people, right? If we're loving other people well, we're not going to lie to people. So we don't have to worry about the commandment to not lie. Because if we're loving people well, we're just not going to do it. We're we're going to be compassionate towards others if we're loving well. We're not going to covet what our neighbor has. Instead, we're going to rejoice with them if we're loving well. We won't put any gods before our God. Anything to that level that God should hold in our lives. We're not going to put anything there if we're loving well. We won't get caught up in needless fights and arguments if we're loving well. And we could go on and on and on and on down the list. Love is the fulfillment of all of God's commands. We become overflowing fountains as we understand and experience God's love internally. So we understand God's love and we respond to it by loving him and then seeing that love flow out naturally toward other people. Broken record this morning, all right? We love God and we love people. Author John Bloom, in a 2016 article entitled, If We Love God Most, We Will Love Others Best. He starts out, uh, I'm going to just read an excerpt from it. He says, the most loving thing we can do for others is love God more than we love them. For if we love God most, we will love others best. And he continues on. He says, I find this to be a convicting and uncomfortable truth. How we love others, particularly other Christians, reveals how we love God. The Apostle John puts it bluntly which we, we, we just read. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our love for each other is an indicator of the place God is holding in our hearts. Did you catch that? Our love for each other is an indicator of the place that God is holding in our hearts. And this brings us back to the passage today. We're going to revisit that last line in just a minute. But I want to finish this passage. We're going through verse 34 today. He says this, um, so Jesus answered him, right? The two commandments, love God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well said, teacher, the man replied, or the main, I typed that, my fault. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. It's a good, good thing that this guy just kind of confirms Jesus is right, right? To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself 
is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The teacher agrees with Jesus. It makes sense to him. But there's still not a recognition on the teacher's part. There's not a a confession or recognition that Jesus is who he said he was. That he's the son of God. And Jesus says in verse 34, When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I love that. You have this whole chapter and some previous chapters too of people just asking Jesus, trying to trap him, right? He passes the test with just flying colors. Nobody can say anything. And was like, okay, we're done. Good job. You win. Nice work, right? No one dared ask him any more questions. But Jesus said something very interesting here. You are not far from the kingdom of God. How can somebody be not far from the kingdom of God? You're either in or you're out, right? (laughs) You're either part of the family or you're not. And that's true. Jesus isn't saying anything contrary to that here. Theologian Warren Wearsby said it this way. on this idea of being close to the kingdom of God. He said it means he or she is facing truth honestly and is not interested in defending a party line or even personal prejudices. It means the person is testing his or her faith by what the word of God says and not by what some religious group demands. Right? You don't get the sense that this teacher of the law is coming to, to trap him, right? And to... This is, this is a guy that is, this Jesus guy is making sense. But I want to I ask him a little bit further. We have these conversations about these commandments and which one's the greatest. I want to go get his idea and opinion on that. You get the sense it's this honest dialogue with this teacher of the law. People close to the kingdom... This is uh, Wearsby again. He says, people close to the kingdom have the courage to stand up for what is true, even if they lose some friends and make some new enemies. So why was he just close and not in the kingdom? There is no confession that Jesus was who he said he was. Even with agreement with Jesus on the greatest commands, he was still trusting in his ability to perform would make him right with God. I think that's true of of a lot of us as well. Uh, Maybe not overall. Maybe you have trusted Christ, but maybe there are times in certain areas in your life where you live like, I have to do this in order for God to give me favor. I have to do this right. And anytime we do that, we're making Christ's sacrifice on the cross less and less powerful in our lives. I want to go back to the end of that John Bloom article where he says this, our love for each other is an indicator of the place God is holding in our hearts. Do we ever think about it quite like that? That's what I want to know. When we have interactions with people, 
maybe maybe in the uh, in the aftermath of an interaction, or maybe during the interaction, you might be realizing, yeah, this is probably not how I need to be reacting to this. This is probably not how I should be approaching this situation as somebody that claims Christ as Savior. But do we do we understand? Do we put together? That that interaction, how we treat people, and maybe it's a pattern in our lives, okay? I don't know what the pattern is, but interactions with people. Maybe it's a certain person. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a family member. Whatever it is, how we treat those people indicates where our faith is, indicates how we view Christ, indicates where our relationship with God is. Do we put those two together? Jesus put those two together. Love God with everything you have. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the fulfillment of the law. It's love. We said it over and over again up here. I know Jamie said it before. I've said it before. Let's not overcomplicate this thing. Loving people well is never, ever, ever the wrong thing to do. Loving people well may look different in different situations, right? Maybe in one situation, there needs to be a lot of discipline and some heavy hand because you love somebody well. Another situation, maybe you just kind of let it go. And they're going to meet whatever their actions Deserve, right? Whatever consequence that is. In both situations, you are trying to love the other person well. And then there are the obvious situations where we get into, um, whether it's at work or at home or at school or wherever it is, where we get into situations where we're just bickering and fighting and maybe we're backstabbing and um, talking behind people's backs and, and starting rumors and doing all these things, right? That. Those are obvious ways that we are not loving people well. And that says a lot about what we think of God in our own lives and the place that he holds in our hearts. So in light of Jesus telling us here in Mark 12 that the greatest commandment that God gave was to love him. And the second greatest, 1A, if you want to say it that way, is love people. Taking into account those things. This week, I want you, I want you to do, a, um, or maybe even now, start it. I want you to do like an inventory almost. You know your situations. You know your heart for other people. You know... You know someone that you don't get along with. You know someone that maybe has, has been um, really, really rude and unloving to you. And now you're starting down that same road with them because revenge feels good, amen? So I'm going to ask you some questions and I want you to think about these. Do you make excuses for not reaching out to your neighbors? Right? And when I say reaching out, I'm not talking about 
yelling the word Jesus in a megaphone towards their house, okay? Like taking time to get to know them, to invest in them, to invite them over, to spend time out in the yard talking with them when you're both raking leaves. Like going to help them rake their leaves. Or do we just go in our door, lock it, close the garage door, and not really care to interact with our neighbors? But they're really mean. Do you make excuses for not reaching out to your neighbors? Do you have a desire to help people? Put simply, do you have a desire to help people? Do you turn away opportunities to serve in our community because your calendar is full? And it's full of things that don't involve anything close to serving people in our community. Are you joyless? As you go throughout your day, in good times and in bad, in difficult circumstances, yes, there is real pain and hurt. I'm not minimizing any of that. But as a rule, are you, are you joyless? A pessimist, if you will. Do you avoid certain people because loving them would be difficult? Have you ever crossed the street because you didn't want to encounter somebody on that side of the street that you were walking on? I have. I'm guessing many of you have too. Are you living in bitterness and holding a grudge towards someone or a group of people? Does your heart break for people that don't know Jesus Christ? There are people that you know, whether they're neighbors, friends, family members, classmates, teammates, office mates, whatever it is. There are people you know that you know don't know Christ. People that are in our everyday life that you know don't know Jesus Christ. Does your heart break for them that they don't know Christ? That might be a really good indicator of where your own heart is with Christ. Some of the most loving things we can do for people is speak truth. Not bully, not hit people over the head with the Bible, right? Speak truth. Invest in their lives so they see somebody that loves them unconditionally with the hope that you have opportunity and build that relational equity that when you talk about Jesus Christ, they see it in your life first. If you've ignored them, if you've ridiculed them in the past, you say, let me tell you about Jesus, why would they want any part of that? Does your heart break for people who don't know Jesus? Our attitude towards others reveals our relationship with Jesus. The more we see how hopeless we are without God's grace, without his mercy, without his love, the more our hearts will begin to be attracted to loving and serving those around us. 
It starts here, right? It starts with this relationship. The more we understand his love for us, the more this is going to flow naturally out of us. And here's the thing. Throughout all of Scripture, Jesus leaves no wiggle room for any of this, does he? Love your neighbor as yourself, except if they hurt you really bad three years ago. Right? He doesn't leave any outs. He doesn't leave any wiggle room when he tells us to love people. He gave himself no wiggle room when he loved and served us, did he? I'm dying for everybody except these 20 people because they're especially bad. No, I didn't mean to point over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? It is, there is no exception. There's no wiggle room. There's no if they're your enemy. In fact, he says the opposite. Love your enemy. Pray for them. It's his heartbeat for us that we love because he does. We're going to end a little bit differently this morning. Um, I want to play a, um, I'm going to play a video for you. I just want you to you put your Bibles away. Do all that now so we get it all out of our system. Okay, Put your Bibles and notes away. And I want you to read the screen as this video plays. And let these words of Jesus sink in as it plays. Okay? We love God with everything that we have. And because he loved us and because we understand his love for us, we love people.